I've eaten so much food in the last two days. Mm-hmm. It's a ridiculous amount of food. Mm-hmm. Could this whole obesity epidemic, could it possibly just come down to Thanksgiving? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 75 we begin a brand new book. What? A new book, Words of Radiance, by the inimitable Mr. Brandon Sanderson. I have to say, over 75 episodes of this podcast, we are getting much better at saying inimitable. It's true. (laughs) Well, I've always been good at saying inimitable. I have not been. So collectively, we have gotten better. So the inimitable Brandon Sanderson. And today on this book club, we will be covering the prologue through chapter three. Our next book club, we will be covering chapters four through seven of the Words of Radiance. Now, why don't we- when I say we, does that mean that we're a Borg-like entity? It's more the royal we. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, I know I'm not royalty. If we became a Borg-like entity, you would have to start liking yellow mustard. Come on. Can we we all agree that yellow mustard is gross? What? No. It's amazing. There's no food in nature that is that color. Exactly. We've taken nature and perfected it. (laughs) Okay. I'm not saying yellow mustard is the best condiment, but on a patty melt, there's nothing better. If you say so. You know what? More yellow mustard for me. Our spoiler policy (laughs) is that Liz has read these books. I have not. So we will not spoil anything past chapter three of Words of Radiance. So the way of kings is fair game. Yes, it is. It is. We will also be discussing some Cosmere-related information only if it does not spoil plot points of other Cosmere related books. Uh, Chad has not read anything in the Cosmere outside of the way of Kings. And we don't want to spoil any of those books for him or any of our other of our listeners. So if you're new to the Cosmere, you haven't read all of Brandon Sanderson stuff. This is a safe podcast for you to follow along with. Outstanding. Are you ready to talk about Words of Radiance. I keep wanting to say the words of radiance. And it's not. It's not. It's we would get so many comments. I may have said it once or twice. More than when we called Jean Tannen Gene Tannen. Some of us never called him Gene. (laughs) So the prologue, let's just well, first of all, what do you think so far? I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah. You know, What's interesting to me is in my initial experience with the Way of Kings, if I had to, now, if you, if you, if you held me down and said, 
all right, what's the one part you don't like? Or if I'm going to make you pick an area, a weak spot, I would say I didn't find Brandon Sanderson's characters to be amazing. They're fine. Right. But I don't find them to be amazing. But in this book so far, sort of picking back up with Kaladin and Shallan and Yasna, like I find a different, like I'm embracing them more and I find them more enjoyable. Well, his characters develop very slowly. And again, this series of books is incredibly long. The books are long. It's definitely a slow barn with character development. But I find it's like the baklava is that much more rich when it's done, when these like kind of shallow layers are just getting just added slowly. The phyllo dough, so it's crispy. Exactly. Slightly chewy. Mm-hmm. Honey is good. Mm-hmm. Dates are ripe. Yep. Do you want to go get some baklava? Not right now. We got a podcast. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so are we ready to jump into the prologue? Let's do it. Let's do it. The prologue is titled To Question. In it, we witness King Gavilar's murder through the eyes of his daughter, Yasna. We open on Yasna leaving the fateful party to meet with an assassin. On the way, she has a strange run-in with a mysterious dark figure and is thrown into Shadesmar for the first time. She does considerably better than Shallan did, bringing herself back to the palace and causing the dark figure to bow to her in respect. The strangest of the evening causes Yasna to rethink her plan to assassinate Esudan, Elokar's wife. She asks the assassin to spy on her instead. She races to Gavilar's quarters when the ruckus begins and arrives in time to watch Seth kill him. She is there to hear the confessions of three Parshendi elders who show up to take credit for the murder. So this was interesting. You know, the beginning of the Way of Kings opens with this this murder, and now we get to see it through Yasna's eyes. So we start reading this book. We have Yasna, and we have it from Yasna's perspective, but the very first paragraph is like, Six years ago, Yasna was plotting an assassination. I'm like, right. six years ago, your dad was assassinated. No, that's ridiculous. There's no way Yasna was behind her dad's assassination. And they they keep that going. They, being Brandon Sanderson and his evil twin, Brandor, <laughs> they keep that going right up until the point when she meets the assassin. You know, that's interesting because someone else, I believe on our Facebook group page, said that that's what they thought as well. That never occurred to me. Really? Reading this, that maybe he was the one she was planning to assassinate. So that's interesting. You know, a couple pages into it, I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We've seen too much inside of our head and it doesn't make any sense. But I'm like, oh, I'll play it out. I mean, after that crazy crap he pulled with Sadius. Mm-hmm. Not sure I trust him. <laughs> Perhaps I simply misheard her. That's okay. I'll forget about it now. So the first note I have here is right when Yasna leaves the sort of common area where everyone's partying, she says that she had essentially just admitted to heresy, but doesn't really get into the details of it. So I suspect we'll hear about that at some other point later. That's an interesting character note for Yasna because 
she says here that being a heretic has caused her to become the center of gossip and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And that that is the reason why she has spoken about her heretical feelings. So I thought that was interesting. Like, she deliberately revealed that for some kind of political purpose. Yeah, we don't at this point know what it is. The other thing I have here is, I, I remember going back and forth in The Way of Kings being perplexed at how little the Alethi know about the Parshendi. Right. And this sort of recap of the prologue from the last book and Gavilar's assassination and seeing them sort of celebrating with the Parshendi does nothing to allay my fears. Once again, they ate with these people, spent hours with them, spoke with them, had negotiations with them, Listen to their music. Dalinar still doesn't know that there's both male and female Parshendi. Right. Although Yasna did. Yes, Yasna did. So, and we know Dalinar was smashed. I don't think that's why he didn't know that they were male and female. Are these people just that? self-absorbed that they didn't notice i don't know that that part is still something that doesn't seem right to me it almost borders on a willful ignorance it does hmm mm-hmm. all right the next comment i have is about yasna's shadow which points the wrong direction Yes, yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about the strange interaction that Yasna has that draws her into Shadesmar for the first time. Uh-huh. She's walking out of the party. She notices that her shadow is pointing the wrong direction, and she thinks, not again. Yeah. So it's yeah. not the first time this has happened. But as she is then walking down the hallway, she sees a strange figure that seems to rise out of one of the shadows. It's almost like an oily black figure and it draws a sword and it comes at her and the next thing she knows she's her hand is sunk into the wall and she is in Shadesmar so when Shalon is thrown into Shadesmar she basically goes down like a fish she does yes but Yasna is able to do a little bit better she manages to form some sort of raft out of a bead she gets herself back to the palace and she manages to fend off the this inky black figure that's coming at her with a sword and it kind of bows to her in respect and disappears and she's like what the hell but now i gotta go meet an assassin yeah i actually went back and read reread shallan's initial interaction as well right. and that's that's a good summary of it and that is ultimately that what what i took from it is that although the the quote people that she interacts with uh, with in her case the inky black figure with the sword versus in Shallan's case the symbol-headed people, although they're different, pretty much everything else about the Shadesmar experience is very similar. Although Yasna does much better at being able to figure out what's going on more quickly and also being able to sort of function within it where Shallan doesn't really at all. Well, and Yasna knows where she is right away. Yes. She's like, oh, this is the mythical kingdom of the Spren from the stories I've read. So she's heard of it at least. Yeah. 
Shalon's has not. Plus, she's older and I think just more mature. Yeah. And that certainly plays a factor as well. We have the shadow point in the wrong direction, which is the first indication that something metaphysical is going on here. Right. And I went back because I thought, well, we've seen that before. Yes. But I wasn't sure where we had seen it before. So I went back and I read, and it's Axes the Collector. I love Axes the Collector. Yeah, that was a good chapter. So it's in Axes the Collector chapter where it is mentioned that his shadow faces the wrong direction. But that's it. No other, nothing else you can really glean from it other than there's a commonality there. And Axes, the collector's whole chapter is about Spren. So right. this is a person who is like a Spren researcher. He's a Pokemon collector. He's got to <laughs> catch them all. You know, so the fa- other than the idea that it's tied to Spren in some way, uh, and even that is a supposition that you would have to make. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't have anything else to add. The, just- the other difference being that Shalon, in order to get into Shadesmar, had to give the symbol-headed creatures a truth. Well, twice. to soul cast, she did. She was in Shadesmar, but to actually be able to soul cast, she had to give him a truth. And when she wanted to go back to Shadesmar, when she was in Yasna's office, mm, okay, she had to give them a truth. There's yeah. nothing like that in Yasna's story, so that's interesting. No, the other thing too is that, and I wrote this down. I don't know why I didn't bring it up earlier. Is that Yasna is able to look right at her spren person. Yes. Super spren, whatever you want to call them. Whereas Shalon can only see them through the drawing. Yes, or out of the corner of her eye or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Correct. So she's not able to look directly at them where where Yasna is able to look directly at them. Is that because of the difference in the type of spren or is that the difference in their abilities we don't we don't know at this point or if that's even relevant so then yasna goes and meets with an assassin named lis so lis is an assassin one of many that yasna's worked with before she's got like quite this little network of spies and other assorted underhanded people and she has hired her to kill her brother's wife who's kind of a bee honestly well the only time she appears in this chapter is sort of snickering at dalinar right kind of a bee i don't know i might laugh at him too if he's falling down drunk being a dumbass and i know that she's brought up in the way of kings but only offhand very briefly, it's mentioned that she's back in Alethkar running the kingdom and that she kind of put Navani out to pasture, pretty much, which is why Navani comes back to the Shattered Plains. Yeah, so, other, I mean, you never really get to know anything about her. She's just there. Right. So we don't really know why Yasna wants to assassinate her. True. Hmm. However, by the time Yasna gets to the meeting with the assassin, she, things have been so strange that she's decided like, you know what? I'm not going to make any big decisions like that right now. And instead she hires her just to move into her household as a maid and spy on her. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also didn't mention on the way to this meeting. She also runs into her father and 
remarks to herself again how much her father has changed since his meeting with the Parshendi on the Shattered Plains. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of throws her off a little as well. That he's kind of like, what are you up to? And she's like, how does he even know I'm up to something? Well, and I think also she was concerned that he was up to something. Yes. So before she made, again, before she made any rash decisions, she wanted to see how it would all sort of play out. They also ask, hey, where was that really cool servant that you wanted to show me? Right. And she was like, oh, he was too good. I had to let him go. Once again, the notion of him being a creepy servant because he was too good. We're talking about Seth. We're talking about Seth, yeah. Right. The so, yeah, we find like, out that Seth was owned by Liss at one point. She let him go because he was unnerving. But now he is also at this banquet. Why are you squinting? It's multiple times it's been brought up that people have let Seth go because he was too good. But what? That doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. So Seth, think about the interaction that he had. We saw him have when he was owned by the sort of crime lord guy. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hey, cut your own arm. And he just sliced himself open. I think it's probably that kind of behavior that like... Stop giving him stupid commands then. Stop telling him to fuck the cat. (laughs) I think we're we're meant to acknowledge that there's something weird and creepy about Seth. That like people just don't like being around him. Unless you're Taravangian and you're weird and creepy yourself. In which case, fair game. It's also worthy to note that Liss, the assassin, has a shard blade. Yes. Again, also another woman with a shard blade. Yes, indeed. She's leaving that meeting. She's thinking to herself, she's she's getting back into her head about what just happened in Shadesmar. And she says, could the scholars have been looking in the wrong ruins? And then I'm like, well, what ruins and looking for what? The only thing I can imagine is she's referencing people who have been trying to figure out more about Spren. But she also referenced that this was sort of like the secret kingdom of the Spren. So I'm not quite sure that one has to do with the other. Well, we also know that Yasna is very interested in Erythru, or at least she is now. It could be that she's was interested in it back then as well. Could. Okay. And looking for the lost city there. All right. I don't know. But this is right. Bef- this gets interrupted, this thought. Right. Before she ha- runs into two people. One, the guy with the white scar or mark on his face. And some other person who she thinks might be a lethe. Right. And they're talking, and one of them says, Ash is getting worse. I think I'm getting worse. No idea what that's in reference to. Right. And then saying, that creature carries our master's blade. We should have never kept it with him or right. left him, let him have it. And again, just another lay of the mystery. Who, who are these people? Well, we've seen these two before. We have. We saw them, well, we saw them in the prelude the last time. Yes. I don't think, have we seen them outside of the prelude? 
No, we saw them talking to Elokar. Correct. Yeah. In the in the prelude of Way of Kings. Yeah. So yeah, I went back and read through there, and we see them talking, but we don't know what they're talking about. Right. So they one of them says, "I'm worried about Ash. She's getting worse. We weren't supposed to get worse. Am I getting worse? Yeah. I feel like I'm getting worse. So this we've got this like short little guy who's all kind of nervous and jumpy, um, a taller." Azish looking gentleman with a white scar on his cheek, um, who's basically like, shut up, get over it, you're fine. And uh, he's described as having a very unnerving stare when Yasna tries to talk to him. But we don't know who Ash is. Correct. We have no idea what this is in reference to. Correct. More mystery. Okay. Yep, put a pin in it. It's all you can do. He would stare at you weirdly if you did, though. <laughs> so then we have the actual assassination itself. Now, there was one other thing I noted leading up to it, though, is that uh, when we first encounter Gavilar, he's not wearing a shard plate. Okay. There's a guy named Tiram, or Tiram, or Tarim, whatever, however you say it, whatever. who is in his shard plate right before the attack. But then you know, 10 or 15 minutes later is when the assassination occurs and Yasna ends up running in and finding Gavilar. His his helmet is broken, so she can clearly see that it's him. So somewhere during that time, he swapped out of his shard plate, which is a little weird, but not not that big of a deal. But I'm just curious that in the entire book the way of kings we never hear about a person named tiram correct so i I think that's correct yeah so what happened to this guy i mean he was one of gabalar's guys either he's not at the shattered plains or maybe he got killed maybe a lot of people got killed that night maybe he got killed that night it's just strange no stranger than anything else that's gone on this evening, so we will roll right along. And then the whole actual assassination itself takes place. Yes. And then afterwards, like right afterwards, three of the elder Parshendi walk up to Yasna, take responsibility for hiring the assassin, and then tell her they had to because Gavilar was about to do something dangerous. Yep. So what was that? Like, unite the Alethi? Uncover the false history of Voronism? Uncover the secrets of the Desolations? Figure out that the Parshendi were the Voidbringers? Bring back Argyle Socks? Like what? Don't talk smack about Argyle Socks. You can't bring back what never went out. Okay. Gonna... Going to start wearing multiple popped collars? What was he going to do that was so dangerous? <laughs> Gavilar was kind of a chad, I think. Oh, yeah, clearly. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting to me about Gavilar as a character is that they, although Navani cast a little shade on Gavilar, for the most part, everybody treats him he was the bee's knees. Well, he was the best. Mm-hmm. He was the berries. It didn't get any better than Gavilar. Right. You know? 
That's all I got for this prologue. There's a lot of stuff going on in this prologue. Yeah, and it's interesting to compare the two prologues. So just keep keep a mental pin in, in all that stuff. Is the beginning of Oathbringer going to be the assassination of Gavilar, but this time from Navani's perspective? You'll have to wait and find out. So chapter one is called Santhede. Shallan and Yasna are on their way to the Shattered Plains, aboard the same ship that Shallan arrived at Carbranthen. Shallan is sketching on the deck when she sees a strange pattern that rises out of her sketchbook and seems to move. Yasna sees it as a sign, and not a hopeful one, that the Spren are taking an active part in events. She gives Shallan a lesson about the Spren, Shadesmar, and the nature of power. Shallan uses the latter part of what she's learned to find the courage to exert power over the ship's captain. She commands him to stop the ship and lower her overboard so that she can study the enormous sea creature swimming nearby, a request that he previously denied. She wins plus 10 XPs and becomes one of the first ever people to see a Santhede. Yasna also reveals her plan to help Shallan's family, a marriage between Shallan and Yasna's cousin Adolin. What? what? That's crazy. Shadolin. Oh! <laughs> That's a good couple name. That's a great couple name. Can't cast shade on Shadolin. <laughs> so, it's I want to go... not as good as Chizzy. <laughs> Chizzy hasn't done well on the PDC for the last couple of years. <laughs> So, I want to swim with a Santhede, too. Right? Like, I'd have gone in that water, too. I'm with her. I mean, there's some cool character growth here for Shalon. There is. That's one of the things I like about this chapter. You know, we see her go from being kind of reactionary and timid to taking a stand and starting to believe in herself. Well, also, think about just the differences in her interactions at the end of this chapter versus when she was first on the boat in the beginning right. of the Way of Kings. Yes. And Yob was kind of tell, you know, walking around town and being like, look at my muscles. These fools don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Let me carry around, you mm-hmm. know, and, and her just being like, oh, my God, I've never been out of my father's house because mm-hmm. she hadn't. Right. And now a very different character. Not for, just from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter, but across the entire book. It's been a thousand pages, so I guess it's warranted. Right. But good job. A lot of talk in this chapter about Spren. Yes. Very Spren heavy, this chapter. It was. Spren heavy, yes, for sure. So uh, the sort of long and the short of it that I got is that Spren are the personification of human ideas that gain life in the cognitive realm, Mm -hmm. but leak through the thin veil between the cognitive realm and the physical realm. Mm -hmm. Causes me to ask some questions that we can't really answer right now. Right. Well, you might be able to, but you shouldn't. Do these different realms, the cognitive realm, the spiritual realm, do these realms exist on the other planets in the Cosmere? Do you want me Don't to tell you? answer that. Okay. But do they exist on the other planets in the Cosmere? 
Do they? I mean, is it spoilery to answer that? I don't know. You can't answer it. <laughs> Goodness, Liz. Don't answer that question. Well, stop asking me then. But are they? I really want to answer. I don't know if you can answer or not. I don't think it's spoilery to say that, yes, realmic theory is one of the constants of the Cosmere. Okay. All right. So, yes. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving along. I just enjoyed messing with you. So Yasna seems to suggest that Spren have sort of a guiding intelligence or, and that rather, they have deliberately pushed Shalon and Yasna together. Not all Spren necessarily, right. but that there are Spren. Yeah, she kind of describes some Spren as being more, I guess, creature-like, some Spren as having human-like intelligence, mm-hmm. and that she thinks that the Spren are moving them together. Because they, they both have this these sorts of abilities. She doesn't see it as a good thing. She says the Spren don't they're acting in this manner suggests that they're this is like a last resort kind of thing because this is the last thing that they want. There was some sort of ancient betrayal that the Spren don't want anything to do with humans um, because of. And the fact that they're willing to interact with humans again must mean that they're sensing something's really, really bad. Is on the horizon. And in the middle of that, she says, the old ways are returning. Right. Now, what that means, we don't know. I, I mean, I think it's kind of clear that she means the Knight's Radiant. Oh, okay. That's kind of what I was going to... Right. That's what I was going to suggest. So, okay. Groovy. And then we get to the marriage. I have found a way to help your family. Yeah. I could give you a sack of money, but that's only going to help for a little while. I think she literally says that. Like, yeah, (laughs) your family's problems are bigger than money. Well, and they are. Right. And they are. So I'm going to try to marry you to my nephew. Cousin. Cousin, whatever. I'm going to try to marry you to a Kennedy. Yeah. And Shalon's like, Yes, yes. <laughs> sweet. And you know what? I have to say, I'm kind of glad that Shalon wasn't like, oh, no, I had to get married, blah, blah, blah. I just feel like that would be so predictable. Like, I want my freedom. I don't know. See, I, and I'm with you, by the uh-huh. way. I, I did think it was refreshing that she was like, dude, I was basically going to be in an arranged marriage anyway. And I was right. never going to land higher than Adolin. Right. You know, colon. Right. So let's I bring mean, on, on the other hand. Her last name is going to be Colon. <laughs> That's a problem. Sorry, I just heard that for the first time. Shalon Colon of the Shallow Colon. Uh, what were we talking about? I'm sorry. It's casting shade on the colon. <laughs> I'm done. It's I'm, done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought it was refreshing that Shalon was just like, all right, yeah, let's do, you know. I, I did as well. The, I mean, it's basically like she gets to marry like her favorite star from Tiger Beat magazine. Right. You yeah. know, 
she's like, I've I've been reading, you know, Teeny Bop magazine and looking at pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio for years, and now I get to be betrothed to him. That's amazing. Right. You know, and I don't even have to listen to his Gilbert Grape routine. <laughs> the um, the thing that I thought was interesting, though, is although Shalon is like, yeah, I'm, on, I'm up with this. My initial reaction to it was the more predictable reaction of what are you doing? Like, you can't just do that. And then, then I had to sort of ask myself, why is it that it's so dissettling for, for us in sort of modern Western society mm-hmm. to look at the concept of somebody else arranging your marriage for you without really consulting you? Like we are like that, even in a fantasy book is like, oh, like it's just so strange. But the concept of Spren and Shades Mar and blades that appear in your hands is we're like, all right, I can roll with that. Well, I guess because arranged marriage is something that happens on Earth as well, maybe. It could be just years of watching Disney romance comms. I mean, that's or that. Could be as that. well. Could be that too. Yeah. But let's be clear though, what what Yasna has arranged is a casual betrothal. So it's all hinges on Shalon and Adolin meeting and agreeing to it as well. Yeah, correct. So yeah. She's not like completely Well, it's interesting to me that they they actually call it a casual. Right. Like it has its own sort of like little niche term. Like it's it's common enough in this society that if you say we have a casual, it's sort of like a promise ring. Right. But it was interesting, too, that Yasna was like, Yasna was nervous about telling Shalon. She wasn't sure if it was the right thing. You know, in her mind, she was like, this is the worst, you know, this is the worst thing. I Yeah, she's like, I'm being ever. really she's like, presumptuous. I, I feel really, and she's like, oh, well, I kind of, but she had kind of mentioned the possibility to Navani, and Navani just ran with it. Yasna didn't realize how horrible Adolin's social and dating life was going. And Navani was like, oh, yeah, bring. I think that's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> like, well, apparently, I think she says, Navani, she says that um, Adolin has run through every single eligible daughter. Yeah, I think that's. In the camps yeah. or nearby vicinity. He has somehow managed to piss off every single one of them at this point. Yeah. So Navani's like, bring in the fresh meat. <laughs> Let's see how she does. Hmm. That's funny. So that's going to be, you know, an interesting meeting, you know. Have to see how it plays out. What's Brandor going to do? So what did you think of the the whole Shadesmar concept? Was that pretty clear to you? Was that easy to understand or? I mean, I understood it as well as I sort of talked about it in the chapter, but I didn't really, I didn't struggle with the concept. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward to me assuming i'm understanding it correctly yeah absolutely so yeah no it makes sense so i thought it was interesting too that shallan's biggest concern with the arranged marriage was that she doesn't feel like she has anything to offer she doesn't feel like she's bringing much to the table and yasna has to point out to her you know what if you're what i think you are and you're on your way to being one of the knights radiant like you're bringing something to the table Plus, she's got a sharp blade. Yasna does not know that, though. I know that. So, yeah, that's 
That's another mystery we haven't gotten into yet. Gonna have to see what happens. Now we got two chicks with shard blades. That's right. And now we have the, um, and we see the the mysterious pattern. Yeah, we do, yeah. So that's another thing we that's a mystery at this point in the book as well. So chapter two is called Bridge Four. Kaladin and Bridge Four are settling into Dalinar's army. Kaladin has been made a captain in charge of training all of the former bridgemen. He and Bridge Four are Dalinar's personal bodyguard, replacing the Cobalt Guard that was nearly destroyed in Sadius's betrayal. They get celebratory tattoos to cover up their slave brands, but Kaladin's tattoo only lasts until he sucks in Stormlight. They also receive new uniforms, though they insist on having their own insignia. Teft encourages Kaladin to show Dalinar what he can do, but Kaladin is sure that if the Light Eyes discover his powers, they will find a way to take them. So this is just sort of a reintroducing of Kaladin and the Bridge Four guys. Not a whole lot of development happens here for any of them but kind of laying out who these guys are where they are in their journey it's definitely stage setting right right we see um kaladin talking to teft and moash especially about the importance of protecting dalinar they see dalinar as the he's kind of their safety net he's the reason that they were freed in the first place and so he's their first priority as far as keeping someone safe. Well, and it sort of sets up for them what the stakes are. Yes. And what will, you know, what's likely to happen to them if they fail. Yes. And then we have a reminder in this chapter that there's a very high likelihood that they could fail because of the assassin in white. Yes. Who we know from the end of the last book has been sent to kill Dalinar. Yes, he has. Not only that, but Dalinar and the king are going to be doing something shortly that is going to completely piss off every single person in power in the war camps. Mm-hmm. In that they are going to change the way that gem hearts are won and distributed and the way that the war is being waged. So they've pretty much made themselves enemies of everyone. Yeah, they've they pissed off a lot of people. My actual first note in this chapter however is the snapter yes we haven't talked about the snapters yet for this book no because in the first one it wasn't very clear it wasn't all that clear what was being talked about should we read them both sure yeah absolutely so the snapter for chapter one says To be perfectly frank, what has happened these last two months is upon my head. The death, destruction, loss, and pain are my burden. I should have seen it coming, and I should have stopped it. From the personal journal of Navani Colon. And chapter two, Navani says, Our first clue was the Parshendi. Even weeks before they abandoned their pursuit of the gem hearts, their pattern of fighting changed. They lingered on the plateaus after battles, as if waiting for something. So how about that? Yeah. What's going on there? I don't know. That's my question to you. Well, I can't tell you that. It seems like it's sort of a retrospective post-desolation. But I think Navani Colon is being very spoilery. How so? She's telling us what happens. Isn't that an interesting thing? Why is she spoiling her own book? (laughs) 
I don't know how I feel about this. I think that's just an interesting storytelling device. It now, adds a little bit of tension. It does. Yeah. And we've talked about that mm-hmm. before and other things. My other question is, when is 1174? Because these years get referenced a lot, but I'll be frank, I've never really paid any attention. Like, what year are we in now? 1174 is, is the current time, I'm pretty sure. Or around. She's talking about the current time. Well, not exactly this current time. Right. The, I think that the, the story she's telling is around the current time that we are reading. Gotcha. So this happens in a couple months. We'll see. So so any thoughts on... I think the Parshendi are going to fuck shit up. Well, what popped into my mind the first time we read this is that we've seen the Parshendi look like they're looking for something after the battles. And when Dalinar fought that shard bearer, what did the shard bearer say to him? I've been looking for, you're it, the one I've been looking it for. It is you. I found you at last. Yeah, yeah. So something's up with that. Strange. I don't know. Yep. Don't know how I feel about it. Put a pin in it. So we open up this chapter with Kaladin. Yes. And it's right after a high storm. And he comes out and he, he pontificates at length, about breath and how the breath of the light eyes and the breath of the dark eyes, it's still the same air. And when they let their breath go, it all still goes to the same place for light-eyed and dark-eyed to breathe mm-hmm. alike. And I probably wouldn't have noticed all the references to breath if I didn't happen to be reading and have just started Warbreaker. Yes. Which and we won't obviously talk about Warbreaker, right. but that's another Brandon Sanderson novel. And Breath is a heavily featured item in that book. So it's right. interesting, uh, that commonality. I don't I suspect it's not coincidental, but I don't know. Yep. And then Bridge Four goes full Mike Tyson. <laughs> Start tatting up their faces. Face tats. They went straight, insane clown posse. <laughs> and started getting tattoos on their goddamn faces. I mean, they were already branded on their faces, so. I mean, you want to be for you want to work on Bridge Four for the rest of your life. Is that what you want? I think they do. Yes. <laughs> no, no one's gonna hire you to to. To be a shard bearer for the Colon family when you got tatted up faces. I, I think they might. <laughs> what do you I'm, know? I'm not saying I'm going to go get one, but. And then Kaladin's skin rejects the drama. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> I'm not dealing with dramatic bullshit. <laughs> it's bad enough my face is all scarred up. You want to ink it up too? <laughs> Listen, you can take Kaladin out of West Virginia, but you can't take the West Virginia out of Tefton Scar. No, that does not make any sense, yeah. <laughs> you can take Teft out of West Virginia, mm-hmm. but you can't take the West Virginia out of Teft. Mm. I'm just saying per capita, more face tattoos in West Virginia. Uh- Okay, yes, I will I will give you that solid West Virginia burn. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with West Virginia. <laughs> nothing at all. I've 
a lot of my family came from West Virginia. <laughs> Kaladin is afraid to reveal himself in front of the Light Eyes, saying he's afraid they'll take it away from him. And I think he's fucking right. Really? So it's not that I think they'll take it away from him, because I don't know how you take that away from him. But I do think, given the reputation of the Knight's Radiance and the suspicion and paranoia, paranoia of the Ardents and the Voran religion... This guy shows up as a dark eye and starts doing all this crazy shit. I think they will try and find a way to brand him as something evil. All right. You know, if Dalinar Colon was ostracized because he might have maybe been, predict, quote, predicting the future, then this motherfucker shows up shooting blue light out of his eyeballs. And they're definitely going to do what they can to run him out of town. I think he's right. So chapter three is called Pattern. Shalon is studying in her cabin when the strange pattern resurfaces. She attempts to draw it, and to her surprise, the pattern rises off of the paper and crawls up the wall. She's freaked. It reminds her of the symbol-headed spren that have been dogging her all this time. Yasna confirms that it is one and the same, a type of spren called a cryptic. They are sometimes called lie spren, though they do not like that name. Apparently, they are one of the rulers of Shadesmar and have a long-standing conflict with the honor spren. Shallan is the first person in centuries to interact with one, but hers seems a little off. <laughs> so this is an enjoyable chapter for me to read. I, I thought the little bit of humor when she's interacting with the pattern and the the information that gets revealed about them. I love the way that the the world of the Spren, the information about it kind of is slowly being revealed. It's really in, making makes it very interesting. But at least we're actually getting answers about the Spren right. instead of just more mystery piled on top of it. Right. Which uh, throughout the entire last book, it was a thousand pages of you think you understand something about Spren? Ha, here's a different type of Spren. Right. You know, ah, here's something that contradicts what you thought you knew. So at least now we're getting some sort of answers about it. So that's good. I also thought it was interesting that Shallan is treating the pattern essentially like a large spider. She's like, get it away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying to crawl up the bedpost. She's like, ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's going to sit over here in the corner of my bed. You stay down there. <laughs> We won't have any problems. Don't make me get a man in here to squish you. <laughs> I own at least two pairs of shoes. I can do this <laughs> if I have to. Yeah, the pattern kind of freaks her out. Yeah. Especially when she finally draws it and it pops off of the page and it's just scuttling around. But after a while, so she goes out to get Yasna. Yasna is standing there actually getting ready to to knock on her door, she is talking to a small, inky-looking figure standing in her hand. So that's interesting. In a sharp, fashionable suit. Yes. His name is Ivory. Yes. So this is Yasna's friend named Ivory. Okay, stop. I don't know why, but in my head, Ivory the Spren standing there is like, um, he's sort of like the soul jazz version <laughs> Of like 
that character Little Sweet from the Dr. Pepper commercials. <laughs> yeah. Basically a little tiny. Like I just see him standing there with his like uh, with his microphone stand. He's being like, oh, when that shark bites. Uh, with the, oh, shit, someone's here. And then he's gone. You know? <laughs> it's like, I only do spren shit in the shower, all right? <laughs> like that's just what I... It is pretty funny. That's what I envision him like. <laughs> well, apparently, Ivory does they not like. They say be- I love won't pay. <laughs> There's very expensive equipment over here. Don't, <laughs> don't throw that. Oh damn it! <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. So Yasna calls the symbol-headed creatures, or the little symbol that's that's crawling around, a cryptic, as you referenced, and also a lyspren. But the term cryptic is something we hadn't heard before. As you right. as you referenced, they're like the Alethi of Shadesmar. Right. So so Shalon is sort of tacked on with the you know the A team in Sprensville. Right. Kaladin has an honor spren. Yes. And apparently Lyspren and honor spren, shockingly, don't get <laughs> along. So it'll be interesting to see what that means because obviously Shallan and Kaladin are going to run into each other. Yes. So that will be interesting. I also think it's interesting just to kind of break down each of the spren we've seen and the person that they've bonded with because it is confirmed here that it's the spren that give the the surge binders their powers mm-hmm. and kind of become their companion so like sill has bonded with kaladin yasna has this spren named ivory who we assume maybe is the same inky black figure that she saw in the prologue um but we know that where Syl is willing to appear to others occasionally mm-hmm. and Rock can see her, Ivory is extremely secretive and does not like to be talked about. And Yasna lets us know that what he's doing in bonding her and giving her these powers is seen by others of his kind as an incredible betrayal. Mm-hmm. So we know that at some point there was a, a devastating betrayal of the Spren by humankind sounds like it was the recreants yeah you're kind of we kind of assume that that was the recreants and now the spren are very reluctant to to bond people again and so we see you know sill and kaladin and she was drawn to him because he acted honorably and she needed him to say oaths now then we see yasna with her spren the only interaction we saw with her was her kind of facing his challenge. So we don't know what it was exactly, what kind of spren he is. Yeah. Or, yeah. But then we, what is very interesting is that Shalon spren is a cryptic or a lie spren. And in order to build the bond with him, she needed a truth, a deep truth. So that's just kind of interesting. But also they pop up in the midst of Shallan's deception of Yasna, that's when they arrive. Yes. Whereas with Kaladin, Syl arrives when he's being honorable. Right. 
and trying to do the right thing. Well, and we get the impression of Shallan's childhood that it was filled with a lot of deception. So we talk about the different types of spren. We have an honor spren with Khaled and a lie spren, and then we don't know what Yasna's is. Right. But also they go through this big conversation about spren, kind of going back and forth, and they get into the breakdown of a nature spren. Right. Versus an emotion spren. Yes. And Yasna sort of posits that her theory about the gods is that, you know, an honor spren and a nature spren are sort of the equivalent of like the Vorin's almighty and that the almighty was just a very powerful honor spren. Mm -hmm. And that there's this God out West called cultivation Mm -hmm. who is an emotional spren. Mm -hmm. We don't know what, if she's a water, like we don't know what type of spren specifically, not water obviously, but, but, um, but that's another one. And then she says, she mentions the void spren without reference to whether or not they fit into that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Are they nature, emotion, or are they a third thing? Right. It sounds like they're a third thing, but we don't really know. And she says the storm father is a type of void spren. A type of spren. She says void spren specifically. I'm going to look that up. Okay, so she does not say that he is a void spren, but I can see where you would think that. So I'll just read that, those couple of sentences. So she's talking about cultivation. The god worshipped in the West is a female deity that is an embodiment of nature and nature spren. The various void spren with their unseen lord, whose name changes depending on what culture we're speaking of, evoke an enemy or an antagonist. The Stormfather, of course, is a strange offshoot of this, his theoretical nature changing depending on which era of Warrenism is doing the talking. So I don't think she quite says that he is a void spren, but Okay, yeah, when she's you, talking yeah. about different spren who are seen as deities. All right, and that makes more sense. I had it mixed up also. The honor spren would be the emotional spren. Right. Related to Vorin's almighty. Uh, the cultivation being more of the nature spread. That makes right. more sense. Okay. And she says, the Stormfather is an offshoot of this, but not saying which right. one he's tied to. Right. Okay. So the other thing uh, that's interesting here is in the beginning, we get the chapter that Shalon's reading. She's reading it from one of Yasna's scholarly works that she's written, and it confirms what we've said or what I predicted a long time ago, that the Vorins deliberately changed history. Yes. Rewriting out and casting poorly the Knight's Radiant. Yes. I find that interesting because... Vorin's Almighty is tied to the Honor Spren. Yes. Who would have felt most sharply betrayed Mm. by the Knight's Radiant. Well, I think the Almighty's name is Honor. I think he refers to himself. He says, I'm Mm. I'm Honor, who you know is the the Almighty. That's correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there was also speculation in the first chapter that the Spren are... 
potentially have the ability behind the scenes to guide humans yeah. the direction that they want them to go. So is it potentially possible then that the people who were rewriting history in the name of Voronism were heavily influenced by Honorspren to cast shade on the Knights Radiant who wounded them? Don't know. But it's a cool thing to think about. Yes, it is. So I I like this chapter, especially towards the end, um, because the pattern is hilarious. Yeah. So this, <laughs> they're like, oh, this is the the ruler of the Spren world. They have a fearsome reputation, and this pattern is like, like just bumping into things. It's like <laughs> it's like a newborn. Puppy. It's just kind of like stumbling around the room, like like this one needs more time to bake. <laughs> and Jalan's like, this one seems kind of dumb. <laughs> it just needs time. It's getting its human legs underneath of it doesn't know what's going on so i just love the creativity of this world and as it develops i'm always just blown away by the intricacy of the world building in this series because it feels like at first like brandon sanderson's just throwing stuff out there like like all this stuff just kind of and then you start to see how it all works together and that there aren't any loose threads and we just see all these details develop and it's i it's just so cool it is it is so that's all i have for the chapters do you have anything else nope okay would you like to then get into some questions yes from our listeners let's do questions all right okay so we have from ian james crone who is the best Bridgman, and why is it the Lopin? Oh, because the Lopin is the Lopin. I'm gonna contradict you there. Really? I think so. My two favorite Bridgman are Moash and Shen. You know, Shen, like, always slides under the radar. I forget about him, but he's a pretty awesome Bridgman, too. Why do you like them? Well, I feel like they're going to, like, the Lopin's an interesting character. Like, mm -hmm. I like what he adds. I like Rock also for the same sort of mm -hmm. comedic, you know, uh, tension-breaking and character-building and, and all that. But I feel like Moash and Shen are going to be points around which the plot is going to pivot. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like Moash is already setting himself up to be potentially the most influential of the Bridgman on the rest of mm -hmm. the rest of the Bridgman. Maybe not. Like, I think Teft is going to have more influence on Kaladin directly. Mm -hmm. But I think Moash is going to become sort of the, one of the big leaders amongst the Bridgman overall. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like there's a lot of potential for him to set himself up as either a very strong ally or a foil for Kaladin. But I, but I, I think he's got one of the stronger personalities who's less... Yeah. He doesn't just bow to whatever Kaladin says. And then Shen, because he showed up and said, tattoo me on my face too. Right. 
Like that was something that I did not expect. Yeah. Especially after all that shit with the Parshendi and the armor mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Like for him to be like, no, I want a uniform and I want mm-hmm. to get my face tattooed mm-hmm. just like the rest of these hillbillies was uh, was interesting. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So that was so that's my vote. Well, I well stated. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like the Lopin. <laughs> but that's for reasons that haven't happened yet, so. Uh, okay. Well, then you can't tell me. I'm sorry. So Theogram Brown says, "Which is the best? The cryptics or the honors? The jets or the sharks?" What do you think? Uh I think Let's say wait, wait, wait. On the count of three, we'll both answer. Okay? Not on three, like one, two, three, then answer. Okay, ready? One, two, three, cryptics. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you like those stuck up honors, Bren? I was actually just waiting until I could see where you were going and then I said <laughs> the opposite. <up. laughs> I like the cryptics, if I had to pick. Theo Theo goes with honor. He says, I mean, you're not going to turn into an eight-foot lady with a sword shouting, for the cryptic of gray skull, are you? <laughs> nice. You're not going to. No, you're Nice not. reference. That's true. Eric says, what is your second favorite name for the podcast, and why is it the Chris Pines Penis Podcast? <laughs> that just rolls off the tongue. It really does. Just rolls right off the tongue. Who was it? Someone went on one of those threads where we were talking about Chris Pine's penis and was saying Chris Pine's pinus. And <laughs> I laughed so hard in like the Best Buys or somewhere. I was somewhere reading that. And um, it just hit me in the right spot. Hey, grab the lady who was walking next to you. Chris Pine's penis. <laughs> Chris ah! Pine's pinus. <laughs> it's funny because of alliteration. Oh, goodness. <laughs> There's a lot of peas in there. <laughs> so Chuck Spurlock says, Happy Thanksgiving, as does Katrina Knutson. She also says, What were your top three dishes on your Thanksgiving menu? All right. On three. Best dish <laughs> at, at Thanksgiving. On one, two, three, and then go, okay? Okay. One, one two, two, three. three. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. Yeah! yeah! Definitely. (laughs) It's definitely sauerkraut. Oh, without a doubt. With kielbasa, the way my mom makes it. I eat that stuff for dessert. It's amazing. Appetizer, dinner, dessert, sauerkraut. They ferment their own sauerkraut. (laughs) Literally just put it in a crock in the basement till it rots. (laughs) And then you eat it with sausage. It's awesome. It's so good. All right, Polish Thanksgiving, everybody. Mm-hmm. Da Babalina says, why is it that no matter how much weight I lose or gain, I'm still always between holes in my belt? That's a thin man's dilemma. It really is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we both looked at each other like, sorry, Dob, I, sorry, I, I can't relate to that. <laughs> I, got, I got enough margin for error <laughs> that there's no one particular hole that... <laughs> I'm saying 
I got two or three holes I can work with at any given time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you did there. Sorry. It's late. Ian Trezee says, what, what are your favorite quotes so far? Way of Kings, Chapter 57, Wandersale, Hoyd to Kaladin. What you saw belongs to you. A story doesn't live until it is imagined in someone's mind. What does the story mean, then? It means what you want it to mean, Hoyd said. The purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon. Too too often, we forget that. So with that in mind, whether it's entertaining and funny or clever and thought-provoking, I'd like to hear some of the group's favorites without spoiling about what has been read so far. And can we hear the Duke and Duchess pull a quote from the chapters of the book we're currently reading and discuss on that section's podcast? My favorite quote from The Way of Kings is, somebody has to start. Somebody has to step forward and do what is right because it is right. That is a very good one and really kind of encapsulates what that book is all about. Yes. Okay, I have one that's really stuck out to me from these chapters that we just read, and it's from chapter one, Santhid, and it's when Yasna is talking to Shalon uh, about power, and I thought it was really interesting, and she says, some kinds of power are real, power to command armies, power to soul cast. These come into play far less often than you would think. On an individual basis, in most interactions, this thing we call power, authority, exists only as it is perceived. So I thought that was, that's a pretty wise saying right there. Yeah. And definitely encapsulates the theme of that chapter and one of the big themes of this book and the theme that was really important in Shalon's character development in that chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Because this idea that, she has access to the same sense of power that Yasna does. You know, she says there, she keeps comparing herself to Yasna and saying, well, I'm nothing like her. I don't have her weight. I don't have her, her commanding presence. And then slowly, and you, you'll see over the course of the book that develops, obviously she, she just grows into a person who has that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a neat thing to watch. And one of my, One of my favorite things about the series. Brian McClure says, Yasna overhears a conversation with two mysterious guests in the prologue. Do you have any theories or thoughts on this? I do have a theory or speculation about it. Yeah. I do not feel very rock solid about it. So I'll lay it on us. Well, I'll I'll bring it up in the predictions. So so you have to hold on there. Next, he says, Yasna theorizes there are three primeval gods that are really some sort of super spren. Do you think she's right or wrong? We've seen one of the three gods she mentioned. Uh, do you think? Do you think we'll see the other two? Do you have any theories as to what they might be up to? This is not something that I really got into in my predictions, so I will talk about it here. I do think that she's right. I think my sense of the Cosmere, from what I've read so far, and I'm not educated enough to really speak on it, but you asked me, so I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> is that I think most of these, quote, gods are these sort of demigods, these sort of limited power deities, not like these, you know, incredibly all-powerful sort of creatures. So the idea that they would be just like hyper, super crazy friends that have come through from the other side doesn't 
sound out of the realm of possibility to me at all. Mm-hmm. So I think it's as good a guess as anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as for the other ones or where they'll show up or what they might be up to, don't really have any speculation at this point. Brian also says, Kaladin has an honor spren. Shallan has a lie spren. What type of spren do you think Yasna has? She's got a soul spren, brother. Hmm. Why do you think that? Because he's wearing a cool suit and he's got his microphone stand. <laughs> a soul spren. And he's a funk soul brother. He goes bisexual chocolate. That's his name. <laughs> no, I actually think it's a void spren. That's what I think it is. Interesting. Because she brings that up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, like in conversation, she's like, oh yeah, you've got a lie spren. There's honor spren, which you know about. Mm-hmm. And of course, void spren uh, name. I, um, I'm not supposed to say that. Let's move on to something else. So that's why I think it's a void spren. So you don't think the void spren are like inherently evil? Uh, I, I mean, any more than a lie spren would be inherently evil. Okay. I don't know don't know brian says uh we've seen two povs of the assassination if we get a third who do you think it would be from i said before i think navani okay he also asked do you think we see less lists again and i have a prediction about that so i won't i won't get into that now and then the last question theo says hey what do you think of the new doctor who um I am enjoying the new Doctor Who. You seem kind of lukewarm on it. I'm going to call you out a little bit. No, I'm enjoying it. I mean, some of the episodes I'm enjoying. Some, some less. So I like the, I like the companions. I don't know. I like all the individual aspects of it. Sometimes the, sometimes the storyline, something's not quite gelling, but I think anytime there's a new doctor, I feel that way for a while, but I, I like the companions. Um, I love Jodie Whittaker's portrayal. Like I've, I've raved about that. Um, I mean, the writing's not blowing me away this season, but it, it doesn't always honestly on doctor who is not always about that. But, um, but I haven't seen the last one. So, um, and I've, I've heard that one's better. I've only watched the first two episodes so far. I keep meaning to sit down Mm -hmm. and catch up, but I just haven't, Mm -hmm. which, to be honest, is sort of how it's happened with the last three Doctors for me. Like Matt Smith, the old dude uh, whose name I can't remember right now, they were always sort of that way. I watched the first few episodes, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm enjoying this. But then I, I wasn't compelled enough to sort of keep up with it. Well, I will say with this season, there aren't really multi-episode arcs like you could pretty much just watch and Mm. and not. I mean, once you know who the companions are and kind of their deal, which you do, you it it's not like if you miss an episode, you're you're not gonna be able to understand the next one. Gotcha. Yeah. And since we're on questions and and a particular theme has arisen in this episode, I will ask you a question. Okay. Who is your favorite doctor, and why is it Christopher Eccleston? <laughs> you mispronounced David Tennant. I mean, it's a <laughs> common mistake. Um, I think you mispronounced Christopher Eccleston, <laughs> who's objectively 
the best doctor. It's getting real, y'all. Oh. Although, <laughs> I, I think overwhelmingly more people would agree with you than agree with me. E- Eccleston is, is a solid number three. Three? After Matt Smith. After Matt Smith? I loved Matt Smith as the doctor. That fish finger custard eating <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Eccleston will put his ear on the ground. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> He's going to be in the new Star Wars movie, Podcast I think. Podcast over. <laughs> Matt Smith is? Or Eccleston? Yeah, Matt Smith. Miss, hmm. Playing what? The new Jar Jar Binks? Like, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know either. All right. Are you ready for predictions? Yes. All right. Okay. The type of spren that Yasna has mm-hmm. is a void spren. Okay. And the backward shadow thing is tied to that type of spren. Okay. Uh, I think the Parshendi are also somehow tied into Shadesmar, but either they interact with a different type of spren or mm-hmm. they have a different ability to interact with Shadesmar, but I think they are also are connected. Now, right. now we start to get on out onto a uh, a limb here. The creature who th- who is referenced when they say uh, the two mysterious gentlemen that that Yasna runs into in the hallway, she said when they say when they say the creature who carries my our master's blade, I think this is a reference to Seth. Okay, I think they're involved in his employment and provided him with a sharp blade. Okay. I think Adolin and Shallan are going to hate each other. All right. I also think Lys, now this this is this is going out there, but I want to see it happen anyway. All right. Lys and Shallan they going to fight. All right. Listen. You get two women both who have a shard blade. They're going to fight. It's like if two women walk into a room that has a wrestling ring and a tub of jello. I mean, you know what's going to happen, right? If they're wearing the same dress to the party. <laughs> Listen, if you show up at the Christmas party and 10 seconds later, you whip out your giant ass shard blade and you look across the room and Brian Springer's wife shows up with her shard blade too. You tell me that bitch ain't going to get cut. <laughs> She's going to be pulling out weaves, like <laughs> taking off their earrings. Don't make me take my teeth out. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else? Nope. All right. So next time we will be reading chapters four through seven. Thank you, everybody. This has been the Black Friday edition of the Duke (laughs) and Duchess podcast. I didn't enjoy any conspicuous consumption other than food. (laughs) 
I don't know why I'm now deciding to tell you this, but you can find us at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the D and D podcast on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Join our Facebook group page. Also, you can find us on Instagram at the Duke and Duchess podcast. Same thing on Reddit and all the other social media stuff that we haven't figured out yet. If you like us, leave us a review. Uh, if you like us a whole lot, tell a friend about it. And uh, that's it. Good night, everybody. Good night. Are we on? We are on. Are my dulcet tones being recorded? They're very dulcety. Is that a verb or a word? Dulcety? No, dulcet in and of itself is an adjective. So you don't need to add the Y at the end to make it But what if an adjective? I want to? <laughs> to make it more adjective-y? Exactly. I want to make it more <laughs> adjective-y. Adjective's not an adjective. <laughs> You're right. Talk to me about grammar. Tonight. On English 101. <laughs> How to English I think for that, dummies. <laughs> yeah. I think that English lesson would be so stupid it would have to be a negative course number. <laughs> All right. Let me get my stuff up here. How to English good. <laughs> With Liz and Chad. <laughs> we could do that. We could make that podcast. We could definitely. How to English How goodly. to English goodly. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Thanksgiving dinner all over again. <laughs> <laughs>